Hello, Austin. How are you? I'm good, Steph. How you doing? Good. Bit cold. Same like you, but uh, I guess uh, we're getting closer to the holidays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christmas is around the corner. I guess you guys don't have Thanksgiving, do you? We don't. We don't, but we have uh, some similar stuff going on. And I see. Every American holiday eventually ends up here. Just <laughs> capitalism, you know. Thank, yeah, you, exactly. thank you for that. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, you're welcome. Some branding. <laughs> yep. Voila. Great. Super low budget. Great. Show the duck. Hey, <laughs> okay, right, second Steph. part of this series. Second part. Let's do this. Okay. All right. So a little bit of a recap. You know, essentially we looked at the the backstory of design thinking, the origins of design thinking the origins of this idea of disruptive innovation and how that book behind that kind of movement, The Innovator's Dilemma, has all kinds of flawed research. Um, this The idea behind that book is that a small, scrappy, innovative startup can completely disrupt an industry and kill the entrenched businesses that live within. Turns out um, there's actually very little evidence that's ever happened. Um, and when it has, it's happened, you know, few and far between. So if that isn't the reality, and, and really um, also the case against design thinking starts with a case against innovation as an effective business strategy, since hmm. design thinking's goal really is innovation. So if this whole, if Clayton Christensen wasn't able to predict the future using his theory of disruptive innovation, and he hasn't been able to actually prove that it's actually an effective business strategy, what might the reality of innovation be? There's not really much evidence in either way, but I think we have a lot more um, historical evidence and anecdotal evidence in support of the case that innovation is a poor design strategy or um, business growth strategy. So why do I say that? What's the reality of innovation? So the first reality of innovation is that innovation is historically slow, incremental, and has involved unconnected people over long periods. So here's some examples. Electricity took thousands of years from discovery to implementation as we know it today. The internet was developed over 40 years before taking off and 35 plus, 35 plus stuff, individual organizations and departments were involved. 20 companies over 15 years released smartphones, including two touchscreen smartphones before the iPhone. In fact, Steph, it actually usually hurts to be first to market. Before the Model T, there was the Benz Velo. Before Google, there was Yahoo, AltaVista, Lycos, and Ask Jeeves. Before the iPod, there was the MP-Man F10, the Rio, the PMP300, the Personal Jukebox, the Nomad, and the MC P10. Is it any wonder, Steph, why the iPod took off? <laughs> All right. Still, so there were still, MP- still those those companies like uh, Yahoo. There's a lot of people that made shit on the money by selling them. So yep, exactly. Yep, <laughs> that is that is certainly a case to be made for for innovation that you can. Um, you can use it as an exit strategy and then take all your money and leave. Certainly, right? Uh, but that's not what design thinkers want to do, right? Do, would you agree that design thinkers no, no, don't want to create some, right? <laughs> right. So well, in the yeah yeah <laughs> no, go ahead sure okay so that's the first 
reality of innovation. The second reality of innovation is that good enough solutions already exist and consumers are used to and satisfied with them. So they're not really looking for innovative solutions most of the time. In fact, we're even pretty hesitant to try new things. I want to talk about an example of this happening where IDEO, the pioneers and really inventors, I guess you could say, innovators of this idea of design thinking, um, created a product that consumers were not looking for and didn't want. (laughs) And that is the uh, improved grocery cart. So a little interesting backstory here. Uh, In 1997, Dateline, which is a primetime news show here in the United States, um, decided to do a feature on IDEO. So they came to IDEO and said, we're going to give you a product to improve upon. We're not going to let you know what it is until you start working on it. You're going to have five days to make an improvement on this product. And they gave IDEO the grocery cart. And here is what IDEO came up with. Super curious. (laughs) Oh, look at the exciting crowd. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? There's no sound, by the way, but... uh, Oh, oh, shoot. Hold on. Hold on. No worries. All right. We're going to... One second. I could see the whole cart in full glory. Yeah. Basically looked like a a cart with some plastic uh, divisions (laughs) and a weird electrical device. The bags are hung on the the cart's frame. Ah, Okay. there is no basket (laughs) here. At first, I was a little shocked, but... I think it's you have some fantastic ideas here. It needs a little refining, but I think that it's great. I mean, we would we would want them. She also gave us some really good comments about how we can make this thing better. A lot of hours. Also, an open mind, a boss who demands fresh ideas be quirky and clash with his, a belief that chaos can be constructive and teamwork. A great deal of teamwork. And these are the recipe for how innovation takes place. Oh my god. This okay, is almost so that's like the... a, a spoof trailer for innovation, like the, the suits, everything. It, it just, yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, the lack uh, of suits, everybody yeah. just in their t-shirt and jeans, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so this, this cart didn't take off for a bunch of reasons, but if you ask design thinkers in forums all over why this cart didn't take off, they would just say that the grocery stores are idiots. They're Luddites. They, they're afraid of innovation. They're afraid of new products. And that's why this product never took off. But there are so many logistical issues I'm not going to go into right now with the IDEO grocery cart. But really, at the end of the day, consumers weren't looking for a better grocery cart. They didn't care. Mm. They certainly weren't going to come to a grocery store because it had a different grocery cart. That's just not how we, we, we interact with the world, especially when something's been around for a really long time. So second reality, good enough uh, solutions already exist and customers aren't really looking for anything beyond good enough most of the time. Now, here's an example of a prestigious design firm that created this idea of design thinking and had a failure. But where do most failures go when they are a good enough, when there are good enough solutions in the market already and consumers weren't looking for this unique solution? 
as seen on TV. Ah. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with this uh, this concept over there in Belgium, but essentially, it's a bunch of products that solve a, a, that come up with a solution that customers don't really need or want, except for maybe a handful of niche customers. And when a product fails to get wider acceptance, usually they they try coming here next. And I'm going to show you, Steph, an example of a truly innovative product that really should have taken off. Let's take a look. I can't wait. Tired of taking your dog for a walk and picking up after their mess? Are you tired of using grocery bags or products that are heavy and not useful? It can get very messy when your pet goes in the house or on the sidewalk or even your neighbor's lawn. We have the answer for you. Introducing Poo Trap. An amazing new innovation oh that eliminates oh. the need of picking up after your dog. An amazing new innovation. A unique new product that fits oh any size God. dog without any hassles, and your pets will love it too. It's easy to install on your dog and poo makes trap. your walking experience fun. Walking your dog like just got easier with a poo, poo trap. trap. Yeah, right. What? I mean, really, this it's truly innovative. It really, truly is. It really it would change everything. our lives. It so would change our lives. It's one to just do whatever you want. Uh, it's amazing. Unfortunately, customers are okay touching gross poop through a plastic baggie, reversing it onto their hand or whatever, and throwing it in the trash can. Unfortunately, customers aren't looking for a solution beyond that. But great idea, don't you think, Steph? I think this was like almost they created basically a new category, entirely new category. Exactly. Exactly. I think so too. And, you know, people are suckers for buying pet products. I'm telling you, if you want to enter a category where you can just prey upon people's just like naivete and, you know, obsession with their pets, go into the pet industry. <laughs> it's I, I a think lot what, of money to be What they were there. lacking was like uh, the fashion part of it, where like <laughs> if, if the bags could have had like these cute little patterns, I think it would have been right. like a, 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 I think you're a right. huge success. I think you're right. So in summary, innovation, there's very little evidence that it works and history and human nature tells us that it likely doesn't. We're afraid of new things and innovation has has looked very different than what Clayton Christensen proposes it could look like. Innovation is not fast and cheap and it can't be de- it can't be achieved in a five-day design sprint by a single company. It's just not possible in most mm. cases. Case in point, Steph Governments have been historically far more innovative than businesses. There is no Uber without GPS, no iPhone without touchscreens, no Tesla without advanced battery tech, no Google without web indexing, no Mac without supercomputers, no Nintendo Wii without accelerometers, and none of these things without the internet. All of those technologies were developed and innovated within the government. Now, Steph, when you think of governments, do you equate them with failing fast and cheap? Uh, No. I didn't oh, they're definitely so. they're they're definitely <laughs> failing a lot, but not not fast and cheap. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, if there's very little evidence to show that innovate innovation is an effective business strategy, uh, and more evidence, at least anecdotal, to show and history has shown that it it really doesn't work that way. Why are we so obsessed? I want to highlight three main reasons here. First is FOMO. If we're told innovation is a successful business strategy and we're we are obviously assuming everyone's trying to do it, then we're going to uh, fall prey to believing that if we don't innovate, if we don't have a mind at least towards innovation, then we're going to get disrupted. And, and like we talked about in the previous episode, 
Clayton Christensen in his book, The Innovator's Dilemma, preys upon FOMO. It is built on FOMO. If you're a small company, you can disrupt the bigger company, but a bunch of other small companies could disrupt you. And if you're a big company, you got to always be agile or you're going to get disrupted by the smaller company. It's essentially living in fear all the time. Mm. The second reason that I believe we're obsessed is survivorship bias. We see the the few uh, success stories of of companies that we perceive are innovative, Apple, Facebook, um, Amazon, they weren't truly innovative. Maybe Amazon, you could make a case for. Um, but in reality, they were really just built upon previous technologies and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see the many more failures. The guy who has a startup idea leaves his job and starts to pursue, you know, getting some money from family and friends, and then realizes that his product is never going to work in the market. Um, we also don't see the stories of big companies that try to focus on innovation and come up with some incremental change in their products, and then they never take off. That's not a news story. It's not newsworthy. Mm-hmm. But a company that is perceived as being innovative, that becomes you know, this huge multi-billion dollar company is obviously going to be talked about a lot more. And then finally, novelty is sexy. We just like new and shiny things as business people. Customers and consumers don't, but as business people, we really love that stuff. So here's what I propose we do instead of obsess over innovation. Don't reinvent the wheel, Steph. Steal it. Yes. <laughs> That's steal it. Great, the great wheel artists steal or something <laughs> great artists along those steal. <laughs> exactly exactly so you want to look at your most successful competitors you want to study them then you want to just copy them functionally look at how they function administratively or um you know from a business model standpoint or how their product functions and just steal it just copy that functionality and then you can look and sound distinct and all of a sudden you can truly disrupt an entire category without innovation at all stuff by focusing on your distinctive brand assets and just stealing the wheel here are some examples of companies that have done just that and found success ford stole from bins apple and microsoft's uh, Microsoft stole from Xerox, Lyft from Uber, Airbnb from Verbo, Pepsi from Coca-Cola, Samsung from Apple, Facebook from MySpace, Target from Walmart, and McDonald's from White Castle. So what do you think of my case so far against innovation as an effective business strategy? Is it solid? Is it weak? <laughs> it's, I mean, I I totally see some of the points and, and I think it's, it's a super interesting and fair perspective i think there are some leaps you're making where i'm i'm not entirely following for example i think you're not making a case against like innovation in general you're making a case against innovation in these like short sprints and uh, like i i totally Mm -hmm. get where some of the things go wrong and it's it's not meant to be that way but i think like innovation where it's like categories evolving based on signals right, from the market right, right. customer needs. I think, right. I mean, obviously this drives so much business and, and, and like improvement for customers that I, I would say like, it's a hard case against innovation in general. I think it's more like, I like the fact that 
you're saying that innovation is this this slower game, incremental. It builds on other mm -hmm. innovations before that. It's maybe not a, a purely like single competitor versus competitor game, but more of like a, an overall like rise of the tide and, and everybody joins right. with it, as you see here. Right. And, and I, I, I'm seeing that like I'm actually... I'm in a like a very fast growth high tech uh, environment right now and obviously we're like obsessed with building the best product and often right. that's innovative sometimes it's not really about innovation but what we see is like in the market incumbents do pick up on it quite fast and sometimes mm -hmm. they have a bigger yeah. war chest so going alone yeah. and all in on innovation is indeed not a very good idea but uh, again it's like it's a bit more nuanced, but I, I think it's mm -hmm. a, there's a lot of strong points and a lot of like typical things we like these traps we fall into that I, I think you're like nicely like the dissecting like a surgeon. And I like that. It does yeah. feel uncomfortable watching something <laughs> because like, oh, that can be no, no, no innovation. Why it's so important. But but yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm liking it for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'm not against innovation in general by any means. Um, but I think the idea that you can as some new startup, um, like, and or even a, not a startup, but a small, scrappy company, that you can actually be the ones that innovate, aside from, uh, and actually create a long term successful business strategy from it, I think is very difficult. Because even if you do innovate, some bigger player has more resources than you, and they're just going to crush you, which is why mm -hmm. an exit strategy might be an effective approach. But if you want an actual, you know, if you want to to go down in history as someone who created something truly innovative, and it actually, yeah. you know, stood the test of time, um, that's going to be very difficult to do. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering this uh Austin like is it is it a bit like almost nihilistic to think in this way in the sense that a lot of like entrepreneurs oh my god that word but you know people <laughs> start the business often from an itch that they want to scratch like oh, I hate right. this service and I want to improve it and I think I can do better and so they start doing it so I'm wondering like this idea of like you know, guys, it's it's not gonna work anyway. You're gonna get crushed if it if it's like a bit nihilistic. I don't know. How do you feel about that sentiment? Yeah, you know, I, I think there uh, the case that I'm making here is against the people who are saying that like you're gonna become the next multi billion dollar company mm, yeah. because of innovation, right? Right. Again, so um yeah. yeah, so yeah, you can build you can have a successful business based off of innovation, but you're likely not going to become like the big player in your category. You're most likely going to like play to a niche within your or you're category. Gonna get, yeah, you're going to get bought yeah. or you're going to get, get bought. Thrown. Exactly. Exactly. No, but I, which, I, I which think is that's fine, you know, if that's what you're going for. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a very important yeah. nuance. Yeah. I think the, the, the problem with innovation speak is really that, um, you know, it is the magic bullet, the magic pill to become yep. a unicorn, really, um, in reality, it's, right? It's like this idea of disruption only, only through disruption yeah. can you can you yeah. grow. And it's not true. It's just right. not true. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And I, I agree yep. with that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, Steph. So moving on to my second core argument against design thinking, even if, and we just talked about this, even if innovation actually was proven to be a successful business strategy, or even if, you know, innovation, um, you know, could help you, 
you know, build a substantial business that doesn't disrupt anybody, but, you know, keep, you know, pays the bills and, and, and gives you a better chance at life. I believe that design thinking is still poorly equipped for the task of innovation. And here's my first point on that stuff. With the real design thinking case studies, please stand up. <laughs> okay. I have I have looked everywhere for case studies on design thinking. And every time I find one that I'm like, oh, actually, that's probably a successful case study. I just do a little bit of digging and it starts to fall apart. Now, I can't just take a bunch of case studies and analyze those. So we're going to narrow in on IDEO. We need to talk about IDEO stuff. They are perceived to be this highly successful, innovative, you know, incubator for, for these great ideas, um, which is why people come to them. But let's look at the reality of the case studies that they themselves promote as important um, and design thinkers promote as well. So here's the first one. It is a voting system designed for LA County here in the United States. Um, and it was supposed to make voting more intuitive and accessible. It was discontinued. Uh, here's the Oral-B toothbrush that you could plug into your computer. Why someone would want to do that, I don't understand. <laughs> um, also discontinued. <laughs> to and no one copies it, them. To get data on your brushing behavior? Well, yes, yes. To, uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, here is the Willow breast pump, which is the first wearable breast pump. So innovative idea, innovative product. Users can't stand it. There's another company that has stolen the wheel from Willow and made it much better called LV. Uh, and they are likely going to take over Willow in no time. And you won't be hearing about Willow anymore because they were first to mark. <laughs> Um, oh, let's skip one. Here we go. Okay, Swiffer, so this is Pillpack. I don't know if you know about Pillpack. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh my god. Um, this is Pillpack. So Pillpack is a unique case with IDEO. They incubated the whole company within their design firm. Um, so they didn't just design the product. They actually didn't come up with the product idea. The founder mm -hmm. did, and then they came to IDEO. IDEO liked the idea so much they decided to you know, take on the business. So they didn't just design the product. They also designed the business strategy. But according to, to anywhere you look, the first thing that anyone ever says when they talk about PillPack online is the customer service is absolutely horrendous. Not, you know, standard or normal, like way below standard or normal. And which is, this is super ironic because design thinking is human-centered design, empathizing with the users. So clearly they've been so obsessed with the like novelty of this product that they've completely forgotten about the core fundamentals of empathizing with the users, giving them the product that they want when they need it, right? There's also a ton of other issues with PillPack that we're not going to go into here. And then finally, the Swiffer Mop. So have you heard this, the legend that IDEO created the Swiffer Mop? Steph. I have I have not, but dude, this thing is a is a, is a thing <laughs> in my household. I can tell you that. Great, great. <laughs> and we need to buy one too, honestly. So here's a few problems. So everybody, when they talk about IDEO, they all say it's on the Wikipedia page, one of the first things up there that they worked on the Swiffer mop. Everybody mm. just says worked on the Swiffer mop. Well, IDEO is not on the pet patent whatsoever. In fact, another <laughs> design firm is. <laughs> so um, it's pretty likely that IDEO's ideas weren't ever used by Swiffer. But more importantly than all of that, P&G, the creators of Swiffer, stole the idea for this mop 
from a Korean company that was finding success with it before. So the idea for the mop wasn't even innovative. They stole the wheel, Steph. They stole the wheel. But let's look at a true success story of IDEO, and that is the Apple Mouse. So the Apple Mouse essentially is, the first Apple Mouse is essentially, you know, the same as the mouse that we've used for a long time until optical mouses kind of took over. The story here is really interesting. Steve Jobs uh, heard about an innovation lab at Xerox. They decided to approach Xerox to pay them 100,000 of their shares before they went public for a discounted price of only a million dollars if they could poke around in the innovation lab. So Xerox said, sure, come on in. We'll show you under our kimono. You know, let's see what happens. So Steve Jobs came in. He saw the first personal computer with a graphical user interface, which essentially is just the interface that we know of today, and the first computer mouse. And he obsesses over this, scraps all the plans for the next Apple computer, and starts moving in this direction. Funny enough, shortly after he visited Xerox, Microsoft visited Xerox and also stole it, which is uh, really interesting to me. So then baby IDEO uh, goes to baby, our baby Steve Jobs goes to baby IDEO. They're all like 20 years old. Um, IDEO, this project kind of falls into IDEO's lap. They were literally five blocks from Apple's headquarters. And um, one of their, um, someone on their team was friends with one of the designers for Apple. And they said, okay, here's the computer mouse that Xerox created. It costs $400 to manufacture. Can you make it cost under 35 so IDEO came up with this idea of there was already the ball and the original mouse, but um, it was kind of housed by a bunch of complex ball bearings and was really expensive to make. They decided, let's make the ball kind of float on just a couple different touch points. It'll last longer. It'll be smoother, what have you. But IDEO did not design the Apple mouse using design thinking. <laughs> Here are some really big diversions from design thinking um, that were at play with the Apple mouse. One, there was no multidisciplinary team. So um, common knowledge with design thinking, at least today, I think before there were some differences on how this worked, but now the, the, the goal is a multidisciplinary team. You have an accountant, you have a marketer, you have a design, you know, designer, an engineer, what have you, and you all, you, with your different minds coming together. Well, IDEO consisted exclusively of engineers at the time. They even all went to the same design school at Stanford. Um, the second, really, I think the biggest diversion from or um, divergence from uh, design thinking is uh, they didn't actually involve users at all in the process of designing the Apple mouse. They didn't mm -hmm. observe them, they didn't interview them, and they didn't test their prototypes with them. What's really interesting is that the Wikipedia article actually says that they did, that they had a bunch of focus groups and all these things, but they actually didn't. Apple's design team might have, but David Kelly in this obscure uh, you know, website, um, I'll, I'll put a link in the YouTube video, but essentially this journalist interviewed the team of IDEO on the Apple mouse and uh, and he put all of his notes and even internal mem memos from IDEO um, on this website that I was able to find after a bunch hmm. of digging into this, which tells this story. And in that article, uh, David Kelly, the founder of IDEO, says, today we would test this with users, but back then you'd use your intuition and show in it to whoever you could find in the old school days, right? Which makes sense. They wouldn't have a design process formulated when they're 20, right? It makes sense. But 
they they then took that Apple Mouse and said, and built on that success of the Apple Mouse and said, you can create your own Apple Mouse using this particular methodology. And that's really the problem. They didn't use that particular methodology. Uh, additionally, individuals worked in isolation and had aha moments and then came to to one another and started to work in a team. So this this whole idea in the Dateline episode of there was teamwork, a great deal of teamwork did not happen in the, at least, at least in the sense that everybody was in a room throwing up ideas. Um, Dean Hovey was one of the founders of IDEO. He came up in complete isolation with the idea of the floating ball within the mouse. And then he got so excited about it. He bragged to his friends who happened to be his coworkers at the time at IDEO. And then they talked about it, refined it a little bit and moved from there. And then finally, many of the innovations that design thinkers credit IDEO for were actually Apple's internal team's ideas. So the fact that the mouse had one button, a lot of people in their blogs about IDEO said they they realized users didn't know how to use a mouse and they needed to, um, uh, uh, they, they, they needed something really simple. Well, the one mouse or the one button idea was actually straight from Steve Jobs, who said, give it one button <laughs> and then the tactile click. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> we'll talk about how Steve Jobs is a design dictator in a little bit. He was not a design thinker or in our next episode, I should say. No, um, I, I love, I yeah. love this by the way, as a recipe for innovation. So please do not involve <laughs> multidisciplinary teams. Do not deserve, observe, <laughs> do not, <laughs> do not do anything and work exactly. in isolation. <laughs> then you'll get the best results. Hey, there you go. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's actually, a, new, a new school for you, Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's actually a lot of truth in the isolation piece, actually. Um, um, there's actually been a lot of research to find, like, where do these innovative ideas really come from? They mostly come from like a hub and spoke approach where you have like, you know, you have an office or, or a, a culture where you have these individual places where you could go off and and not be distracted and come up with these ideas, and then you can bump into your coworkers outside of that setting. That's actually how most innovations happen. In fact, there is an isolation piece, and then they come together and start mm. to refine it. Um, but there's also another piece about letting time move uh, or, or time go. Um, it really that that um, sitting back and letting you know your entire surroundings inform you when you're not actually. Um, thinking about the complex problem, subconsciously yeah. they start yeah. to inform your life, and and you have the these shower. aha moments. Exactly in the shower. <laughs> it, 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 right. It's interesting how how much this reminds me of like how actually like advertising agencies like when they do case studies, they mm -hmm. explain their framework. Like you know, yeah. we went from uh, strategy, we did customer insights, then we yeah. did the creative ID, and from the creative ID, created this beautiful execution. But usually it's like, yeah, Paul ran into <laughs> Jeff who was drunk and they were laughing with a stupid idea. And the next morning we kind of <laughs> said it to the boss and something weird happened. Right. And, um, nobody, nobody knows how it happened. That's what uh, Paul Feldwick <laughs> describes in his book. That oh, there's so much randomness in this process. And I guess it's yeah. just the same with innovation. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And it's, you know, yeah. So, um, all right. So to be fair, there are some success stories of design thinking um uh, we're just getting into by the way the main argument against design thinking for a tool for innovation we'll cover the rest in our next episode um but uh essentially um uh, there are some some successful case studies of design thinking there's the cat scan for 
children that GE Healthcare came up with. There is Bank of America came up with the idea of rounding up um, any purchases to the nearest um, whole amount um, and then taking that change and putting it into an investment account, helping people to invest without thinking about it. Um, there are, and, and these are examples of like an actual design thinking workshop that led to, or, you know, you know, the actual methodology that led to these successes. But if we just look at those successes, then we're going to fall prey, just like we do with innovation, to survivorship bias. We're going to just look at those successes and we're not going to see all of the people who have practiced design thinking and have not come up with products that actually ended up um, giving them success or even, you know, solutions and other mm-hmm different contexts. Um, and at the end of the day, there really is only ante- anecdotal evidence um, for design thinking's effectiveness and really only anecdotal evidence against design thinking's effectiveness. Um, but we're going to talk about a little bit of the other problems um, uh, inherent to design thinking, one of which is brainstorming, which has never been proven to actually work, and which is a really big component of the ideation phase, which we can talk about next. But in a, in a nutshell, there is no really uh, or very little hard evidence um, to suggest that design thinking works or doesn't work. But you, can, you cannot imagine how many brainstorms <laughs> I sold in my life. So this better be good. <laughs> That'll be next episode. You got to hang on to that. There is one empirical study that might debunk design thinking. Bum, and it was bum, conducted bum. by the Institute which was founded by none other than IDEO. We were going to talk about that on our next episode. A little cliffhanger there for you, Steph. <laughs> also on the next episode, what are design thinking's inherent flaws for innovation? There are many. Why empathizing with users can end in disaster. Why? What motivates the $6 billion design thinking industry? Spoiler alert, it's not proof of its effectiveness because there is none. (laughs) Why design thinking for brand design might be its worst application Mm -hmm. to date. Mm -hmm. And finally, Steph, my oversimplified alternative hexagons for success. (laughs) Not not just sticking to critique. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. This is going to be good. Uh, Yeah. Very interesting stuff, as always. I think uh, this is one of the best... uh, like deep series on design thinking I've seen. I don't know a Good. lot of people. I'm glad. But, uh, I'm glad. There aren't many. There aren't many. Like I no. said in the first episode, there well, are very this few is critics actually, of design this thinking. This is actually a disruption in full tilt. I mean, you're basically exactly. taking a gap in the market and filling it. We're we're doing like, this is blue ocean content. I mean. Exactly. That's But you I'm did it in for. isolation. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny, I end up actually falling into all of these techniques that we talk against, you know, differentiation. Well, I'm, I guess I'm, you know, randomly differentiated or not unintentionally differentiated because I'm debunking all of this branding advice. And maybe to your point, I'm against disruptive innovation. And yet here I am disrupting the entire category of design thinking. Ah. <laughs> You're a purple cow. Or something. I'm a purple cow. Yeah, yeah, one of those. Yeah. Actually, that's that. <laughs> I saw that. I was, I was actually thinking that Seth Godin hit the nail there with the purple cow idea because it's mostly <laughs> just about being purple as a cow, but still just being a cow. It's a distinctive uh, thing, not exactly. a differentiated. Oh thing yeah. Like oh yeah. We, we can I get love into it. that another time. <laughs> I love it when gurus, when gurus are always saying, you know, this is the key to to branding, and and they put something in there that's the actual key. 
to brand growth. And then they like immediately say something to the app, like contrary yeah. to the evidence of how brands grow. Um, it's really interesting. Loved it. Thank you so much for all the, the detective work. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next one.